welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Lord said to the man, You listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you not to eat. Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 Contemporary English Version Hello, welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. Thank you for joining us today on Anchored by Truth as we continue to pursue a very important discussion series we call The Seriousness of Sin. We're doing this series because sin is a real and present danger to our lives and eternal salvation. Many people today try to resist the thought or even deny it altogether, but that doesn't affect the reality that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. If we confess our sin, the Apostle John tells us that, quote, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin, unquote. But if we deny our sin, it still remains with us and it puts us in eternal danger. In the studio today, to help us grapple with what are admittedly hard truths, we have R.D. Fierro, who is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., for the first few episodes of this series, we have been considering the danger that sin poses to the eternal destiny of men. But you said that today you want to switch the perspective. What do you have in mind? So in our first few episodes in this Seriousness of Sin series, we were looking at sin from man's standpoint. You know, we've been looking at the stakes of sin for people, especially for individuals. Some of the consequences of sin occur on this earth when we commit sin. And we've also taken a look at some of the eternal consequences of sin that we would face if we do not accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, one of the truly amazing things about accepting Christ as our Savior is that it inaugurates a cosmic transaction that is almost beyond belief. The sinner gets Christ's righteousness in exchange for Christ getting, having borne the consequences of our sin. As you say in your book, The Prodigal's Advocate, the Christian faith is not fair. But the person it's not fair to is Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life, but died for the sins of others. We live sinful lives, but when we accept Christ's sacrifice for us, we will enjoy rewards that we did not earn for all eternity. God would have been perfectly just to condemn everyone who has rebelled against him to eternal punishment. But he didn't. God made a way for us to be redeemed, but it cost God an immeasurable amount, an amount no human being will ever fully understand. Right. So as I said, we've been looking at the seriousness of sin from the standpoint of how sin affects us as individuals, how it affects people, how it affects our lives, our futures, and our salvation. And of course, we've seen that sin is serious. But today I want to step back and take a look at the broader consequences of sin, because remember, the entire Bible is a single story about the grand saga of creation, fall, and redemption. 
Well, of course, the creation of everything that exists and the fall, that takes up only the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible. There are 47 other chapters in Genesis and 65 other books of the Bible that are all about the story of redemption. And without the first sin in the garden, the story of redemption never would have been necessary. Correct. R.C. Sproul used to say that, quote, sin is cosmic treason. That means, then, that there are two sides to the sin transaction. There is, of course, man's side. And there is God's side. We know we tend to forget that. I mean, we know that our sin can injure other people, like when a drunk driver runs into another car that just happens to be in the path. The other driver is a victim of the sin. But if we commit cosmic treason, we have also offended God. That reminds us of Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, where King David wrote, quote, I know about my sins, and I cannot forget the burden of guilt. You are really the one I have sinned against. I have disobeyed you and have done wrong. So it is right and fair for you to correct and punish me, unquote. And that's from the contemporary English version. David wrote in Psalm 51, after he had an adulterous night with Bathsheba, David then tricked his army commander, Joab, into getting Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed during a battle. So, David had clearly injured Bathsheba and Uriah. Yet he wrote to God that God was the one he had really sinned against. Yep. All sins, whether they have a specific human victim or not, are offenses against an almighty God. Now, God is certainly in a different category than a human victim. Because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everlasting, and all. Right. God is not like a human being who can suffer when we sin against them. God is more like a king whose subject has offended them, or a parent whose child has done something that causes discomfort, that causes misery for the parent. You know, God is not damaged per se, but God is definitely offended. And God, in addition to being omnipotent and omniscient, is also a perfectly just and holy God. And a perfectly just and holy God cannot let intentional offenses go unredressed. So, when we start talking about taking a look at God's side of the sins transaction, we can start to see even more clearly how serious sin really is. Now we live in a world where sin abounds even in our lives. We are so used to sin we sometimes don't even notice anymore. It's like walking in your house and noticing a musty smell. Stay there long enough and eventually your nose gets used to it. Yes. We have been desensitized to sin because as sinners, well, sin feels familiar to us. And we live in a world of sin. And we are so surrounded by sin that sometimes we almost don't know the difference, if you will. As somebody once said, if a person falls in the water, that person knows he's wet because the water and being wet is not his natural state. But a fish doesn't know it's wet because fish are wet all the time. Being wet is a fish's natural state. So a fish never notices its own wetness. And, living as we do thousands of years after the fall, sin is now our natural state. In effect, we've become immersed in sin. Not only do we sin, but we are surrounded by sin. And especially in the Western cultures, 
Sin is actively pushed in just about every medium possible. Advertisers routinely use blatantly sinful images and appeals in their commercials. So-called entertainment producers feature and glamorize sin in movies, television shows, music, and books. The old advertising slogan was that sex sells. So sex has become a staple of the images that surround us constantly. Schools, government meetings, and even churches have become hotbeds, no pun intended, of the proliferation of sin. We are so immersed in sin that now we really only notice the big sins. Robberies, murder, adultery, child pornography, etc. Far too many of us have given up the effort to shake off our sins. Yes, but it was not always that way. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God surveyed everything that he had created and he pronounced that it was, quote, very good. Now, God couldn't have and he wouldn't have called creation very good if sin had existed in the world at that time. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and that's where we hear the description of the first sin, Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in our opening scripture, we heard about God confronting Adam and Eve after they committed the first sin. You know, it is interesting. God didn't confront Adam and Eve immediately after they committed the sin. He didn't immediately send a booming voice from heaven shouting, What did you just do? The way my mother would have. According to verses 7 and 8 of Genesis chapter 3, quote, At once Adam and Eve saw what they had done, and they realized they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Late in the afternoon, when the breeze began to blow, the man and woman heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid behind some trees, unquote. So, God waited some time before confronting them. Why did he do that? Well, probably for a lot of reasons, but I certainly think that one of them was that God wanted to let Adam and Eve marinate in their misery before he confronted them. During that interval, Adam and Eve obviously had a growing awareness that they had really messed up. I might go so far as to say that God was giving Adam and Eve a chance to think about the seriousness of their sin. Ooh, I see what you did there. And now I see why you named the series The Seriousness of Sin. God was like a really smart earthly parent. He let Adam and Eve begin to develop a real appreciation for what they had done because the consequences of that first sin, just one sin, were truly beyond their comprehension and beyond the comprehension of any person who has lived since. And that's what I want to think about for the rest of this episode of Anchored by Truth. And we'll probably continue this discussion into our next episode of Anchored by Truth as well. And really, in our discussion, we are just going to be skimming the surface of the consequences of that first sin, because those consequences were really, really serious. Let's start by noting that as a result of that first sin, death entered the created order. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 17, tells us that, quote, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, unquote. That's the New Living Translation. Just as we live in a world where sin is so commonplace that we often don't see it around us, we live in a world where death is so commonplace that we rarely think about the fact that death is an intruder in our creation. Right. There was no death in the created order that God pronounced very good. 
death only entered creation as a consequence of that first sin. And it wasn't just death for men and women, but it was death for the animals as well. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we hear, quote, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife, unquote. The first death recorded in Scripture was the death of an innocent animal. This was a foretaste of the sacrificial system to come. So, one immediate consequence of that first sin was death, and death has been part of the created order ever since. Now, death is not a permanent part of creation, but it is certainly a present part of creation. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that, quote, The last enemy to be destroyed is death, unquote. One day, death will just be a distant memory for the redeemed, but it will be an ever-present reality for the unredeemed. Now, the kind of death with which we are so familiar was one consequence of that first sin. If there had been no sin, there would have been no death. And the kind of death that we are so familiar with is physical death. And that physical death came quickly for one or two of the animals that God used to make the first clothing for Adam and Eve. Now, physical death did not occur for some time for Adam and Eve. But at the moment they committed that first sin, they certainly died spiritually. And their eventual physical death became a certainty. We know that Adam and Eve didn't die physically right away because we're told in the Bible that Adam lived for a total of 930 years. That's a really long time to us, but Adam's death had been assured from the first moment that he and Eve committed the first sin. So, what did Adam and Eve's spiritual death look like? Well, it's probably impossible for us to know everything that they perceived when they died spiritually. But they certainly noticed some things that we can definitely take note of. There are a few things that we can say for certain that occurred because we understand spiritual death at least somewhat because we are all born spiritually dead. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to the Ephesians, quote, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, unquote. Right. Now, some people will question whether or not Paul is just trying to be dramatic when he tells the Ephesians that they were, quote, dead in their transgressions and sins. But as one theologian used to say, dead does not mean being a little alive. Well, clearly the recipients of Paul's letter, they weren't physically dead. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been reading any letters. But those recipients of Paul's letter were spiritually dead, as all of us are, before the Holy Spirit began his regenerating work. So let's think about this for just a second. Death is a form of alienation or separation. In fact, it's the most dramatic form of alienation and separation. Now, as we have said before on Anchored by Truth, we can distinguish between two things without separating them. We can distinguish between the soul and spirit and the body, and we haven't done any harm. But if we separate the soul and spirit from the body, we have killed them. Now, that's pretty serious. Yes. 
So when Adam and Eve committed that first sin, a separation, a profound alienation occurred. They did not die physically, so their souls and their spirits were not separated from their bodies, but they were separated from their previously unbroken communion with God. We know that because when God first called out to them after they sinned, they tried to hide themselves. Exactly. From the context of the story that we get in Genesis, we know that God had previously had a custom of walking through the garden with some kind of a physical manifestation and that Adam and Eve were accustomed to that presence. But after their first sin, now Adam and Eve try to hide themselves. And people have been trying to hide their sin ever since. But of course, it's futile to try to hide from a being that is omnipresent. But Adam and Eve's consciousness of their guilt had produced a change in them. They had lost the ability to have a continuous, intimate connection with Almighty God. So one thing we can say for sure about the spiritual death that Adam and Eve experienced was that it produced a change in their emotional state, in their feelings, a change in how they felt about God, and a change in how they felt about themselves. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 say this, quote, At once Adam and Eve saw what they had done, and they realized they were naked. Then they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Late in the afternoon, when the breeze began to blow, the man and woman heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid behind some trees. The Lord God called out to the man and asked, Where are you? The man answered, I was naked, and when I heard you walking through the garden, I was frightened and hid, unquote. Yes. After their sin, the spiritual death, they began to experience shame and fear. You know, before their sin, they had lived in perfect contentment, harmony, and peace. But they lost all that. Now they started to feel guilt. They started to feel dismay, remorse, and regret for the very first time. So part of that spiritual death was certainly an emotional change within Adam and Eve. And as we all know, in the human body, when your emotions change, that results in physiological changes as well. When we get scared, our hearts pump faster. Our bodies produce various chemicals like cortisol as part of what is labeled the flight or fight response. We can start to tremble or shake when we get strong emotions. And it's not uncommon for people to get dizzy, confused, or even faint in times of extreme stress. The point is, when Adam and Eve's souls and spirits had not yet separated from their bodies, they were still physically alive, they immediately began to experience some of the unpleasant physical sensations that would remain with them for the rest of their physical lives, and that they might very well experience as they were approaching physical death. Yes. So we need to guard against the temptation to believe that even though Adam and Eve did not die physically immediately, that somehow they did not know that a massive change had taken place. They knew. They knew probably more than any other people in humanity's history. They knew the change that had taken place in them. They knew what spiritual death meant in this world. Because they knew the difference between the perfect peace and joy that they had had previously and now the shame, terror, guilt, and pain that resulted from that first sin. Adam and Eve clearly noticed the change because the text tells us so. But in addition to the emotional change that came as a result of their spiritual death, Adam and Eve also experienced what is often termed the noetic effect of sin. 
According to an article on the website for the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, CARM.org, quote, the noetic effect of sin is the effect upon the mind. The Greek word for mind is noes. Therefore, noetic deals with the mind or the rationale aspect of the person. This effect means that our reasoning abilities are no longer pure and proper all the time. But it does not mean we will always reason improperly. We can think rationally, use mathematics, make proper judgments, etc. But as is obvious, there are many false religions in the world that are believed and defended intellectually. So the noetic effect of sin upon the mind manifests itself in the belief of false gods, false Christ, false gospels, etc. When sin entered the world, our minds were corrupted. The result is spiritual blindness and ultimately irrationality, unquote. So that first sin did not just affect Adam and Eve's emotions, it also affected their intellect, their minds. And of course, those effects, the noetic effect of sin, that's been passed down to all of their descendants, which of course includes us. It includes those of us doing this show, Anchored by Truth, and it includes everyone who will ever listen to the broadcast or the podcast. We are all subject to the noetic effects of sin. You know, many theologians speculate that Adam and Eve had a sort of form of perfect knowledge before the fall. Now, they were not omniscient. They were not all-knowing. Only God is omniscient. But Adam and Eve's knowledge of everything in their world was clear, and it was untainted. They knew every tree, every animal, and they knew how to properly care for them. And Adam and Eve's thought processes were not affected by the fatigue, the irritation, the frustration, and so many other things that affect our thought process. Adam and Eve would have been able to reason clearly and arrive at a correct conclusion all of the time. If you had given tests to Adam and Eve, they would have scored 100 on every test that they were given. But they lost all of that with the fall. I see what you're saying. Even today, as we try to contemplate what the effects of that first sin were, we can only have an imperfect understanding because we still suffer from the loss of perfect reasoning. We do the best that we can, but there is no way for our minds to be free of the effects of the fall. Exactly. We all still suffer the noetic effect of sin just as we all still experience the negative emotions that we see that were exhibited in Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And that's frankly one of the ways we can be so sure that the Bible is conveying literal history when it describes the fall. The Bible provides a clear, coherent explanation for why we are the way we are, why we experience guilt, anger, confusion, fear. If we were all just random aggregations of molecules that were colliding with each other, well, those kinds of emotions, they wouldn't have any more meaning to us than a flower experiences if a rock falls on it. So, what you are saying is that even though Adam and Eve didn't die physically, the spiritual death they experienced had real and immediate consequences for their lives. They experienced real loss and a real change. Right. And the entrance of death into creation and Adam and Eve's immediate spiritual death That was only the beginning of the consequences of that first sin. So we're going to continue this discussion more in our next episode of Anchored by Truth. But there is at least one other topic that I'd like to introduce today before we close. Which is? Well, some people are going to ask, why is this discussion of the seriousness of sin so important? I'm sure some people would wonder that. 
And a partial answer, and it's only a partial answer, but it's an important one, is that if we don't understand the seriousness of sin, we cannot properly appreciate grace. You know, just as we are immersed in sin, and so we hardly take notice of it, the church today is so familiar with grace and mercy that we can easily take it for granted. In Shakespeare's famous words, quote, familiarity breeds contempt, unquote. Right. People in the church today, especially Christians who have been Christians for a long time, we can get so used to the availability of grace that we can forget why it is truly amazing. When we forget what Adam and Eve lost, when we forget what they gave away, we have a diminished appreciation for what Jesus did for us when he came to begin to repair the consequences of sin. You know, no one alive today has reaped the full benefits of Jesus' transaction on our behalf. No one today has experienced the full benefits of Jesus' transaction, but we've begun to experience some of the benefits. The damage to our emotions and the noetic effects of sin still impact our ability to fully comprehend all that Jesus did for us. But you know, we ought to at least try. We don't want to be like the ungrateful guests at the feast who eat heartily, but they have no regard for the effort that went into preparing the feast. And there are other reasons that we should carefully contemplate the seriousness of sin. Sin is the single biggest impediment to spiritual maturity and therefore spiritual power. We hear a lot of ministers talking about how to get spiritual power and how to exercise spiritual power. But the one sure way to destroy spiritual power, any spiritual power we might hope to possess, is to not understand the seriousness of sin, the enormity of the destruction that Adam and Eve produced when they ate the forbidden fruit. If we want to have some full-bodied appreciation of the measure of grace that has been extended to us, we have to understand the seriousness of sin. If we don't understand the seriousness of sin, we don't understand the magnitude of the grace that God extended to us when he sent Jesus to remedy the effects of that first sin of the fall of Adam and Eve. So the big idea we wanted to introduce today is that to properly understand the seriousness of sin, we must look at where sin started and look at it from God's perspective, as best we can, as well as our own. The first sin in the garden had a multitude of consequences, none of them good. The first consequence was the admission of death into a creation that had been very good. And we'll get into more in our next episode of Anchored by Truth. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer for children who will shortly be beginning a new school year. And let's remember that today, many schools may be passing along the sinful messages of the broader culture, and parents may need to prayerfully consider whether a change is necessary. As one guest on Anchored by Truth has said, quote, The mission is not to get our kids into college, it's to get them into heaven, unquote. A prayer for a child starting school. Blessed Father, your word tells us that children are a gift from you. We thank you that you have blessed our family with our children, and we glorify you that you are their real father. Your love for them exceeds any earthly love, and this encourages us that we may come to you in prayer for all their needs. Soon we have a child who will be starting school. 
We pray that you would meet our many needs at this time. We pray first that you will enable us to send them to a school that will be safe and that genuinely treasures the opportunity to be involved with your precious children. Help us to find a balance that is so important to helping them grow in trust while also learning to cope with the world and its temptations. Awaken in them and reawaken in us the joy of learning. When the disciples tried to prevent the children from coming to Christ, Christ rebuked them and forever established that He cares greatly for little children. He reminded the disciples that the little ones have angels in heaven who stand before the Father. We take comfort that Christ Himself undertakes to provide for children. Therefore, we pray in Jesus' name in the confident expectation of mercy and provision. Amen. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also, or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S.com. Thank you for your support.